You're listening to Worship Life Radio with Pastor Holland Davis of Calvary Chapel San Clemente on today's edition. God makes it happen or lets it happen. And here's the problem with that, because it doesn't fit any other definition of sovereignty. That's a definition that was made up and put on God. But what sovereign means is that a sovereign is someone who has the right and the authority to make law, and he has the power to enforce that law. And that describes exactly what God does. God created all the laws of the universe. He has the power to enforce those laws. God is sovereign. He created the universe, and everything is subject to his laws. Yet, how often do people shake their fists at him in anger when they experience the natural consequences of their decisions? Sometimes we're subjected to the results of other people's poor choices. Yet, instead of taking an honest look at it, we'd rather blame God. In today's message, Pastor Holland will remind us, our God is love, and he is just. He gave us free will, and it isn't his fault when we experience the brokenness of humanity. Let's join Pastor Holland in the book of Exodus chapter 21 as he begins his message, The Kingdom of God. We're going to look at the establishment of the kingdom of God. We've been in Exodus chapters uh, 21 and 22, uh, studying the book of the covenant, or also known as the book of the law, that was given to Israel by God through Moses. And in Exodus 21, verse 1, we read this. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. And so God is giving them his law, his judgment. And the word that's used for judgment is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is mishpatim. In fact, this section is referred to by the rabbis as the mishpatim. And it's better better translated in our language as decisions or regulations. These are the decisions of God. And uh, a judgment is basically a decision that God makes. It's not a punishment. It's not a, um, it's not this is what's going to happen to you if you do something bad. But God is telling us what he has decided uh, in all of these different areas. And because God loves us, he informs us. Because he's gracious to us, He lets us know ahead of time what to expect. And his decision, he wants us to know his decisions so that we will know his will. God wants us to know what he thinks and what he wills. And so by giving the law to Israel, by giving to Israel his judgments, what's happening to Israel? Israel is being established as a nation that is governed by God. A nation that is living according to the will of God, that is under the rule and the reign of God. And so no longer will they be like all the other nations. No longer will they be like the pagan nations of the world. They will be special. They will be set apart from all the other nations because they are governed directly by God himself. God himself is going to be their king. And that is the significance of God visiting Mount Sinai, uh, visiting Israel on Mount Sinai. And as we looked at in our past studies, the timing of when God visited Mount Sinai, when God brought Israel to that place, was 50 days after Passover. And that 50 days after Passover is known as the Feast of Shavuot, 
or what we call the Feast of Pentecost. It's the day of Pentecost. And what is significant about Pentecost is not that that was the day that the church was born, or that that was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church necessarily, although that is what happened. What is significant about Pentecost is that Pentecost is the day when God established his kingdom in a people through his rule, through his law. And so what does God do in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church? God is establishing his kingdom in a group of people, a follower of Jesus, that will be under the rule and the reign of the Holy Spirit. They will now be led by the Spirit. And that's what's significant about Pentecost. That's what's significant about what happens uh, at the Feast of Pentecost. And of course, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given to Jacob, uh, given by Jacob to Judah in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. The scepter represents the kingdom of God. The lawgiver is the sovereign king. The sovereign king who has the right and the authority to make law and who also has the power to keep law. And to the king will be the obedience of the people. And so this imagery of the kingdom of God as God is king over them is essential to understanding the Bible. When we go into the New Testament, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom in Matthew 4.23. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand in Matthew 4.17. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6.33. And all these things would be added to you. Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10. In fact, Jesus sent his disciples to preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 10.7. So that's the message that he gave the disciples to declare. But what's interesting, as much as we see the kingdom of God in the scriptures, most people have never heard a message on the kingdom of God. Most people have never really talked about the kingdom of God. They don't really have a concept of what the kingdom of God is. And when it's preached, it's usually preached in reference to the European kings. You know, they'll, people will use the example of England. You know, England has a king and a queen and, and so that, you know, and a monarchy. And, and they compare the kingdom of God to a monarchy. But in order to understand what the kingdom of God is, we need to understand it from a Hebrew, uh, a Hebraic or a Hebrew or a Jewish perspective. We need to understand it from the word of God. What does the word of God say? The kingdom of God is. And so one of the things that we've said often about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that operates by faith and is governed by love. It operates by faith, not by law, and it's governed by love, not by rules and regulations. Why? Because God is love. That's his very nature. And so everything that God does, everything that he says, 
is an act of love. It demonstrates his love. Even the laws that he gives are given from the perspective of love. And you have to look at it through the perspective of love. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, the Shema of Israel. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Everything hangs on these two laws of love. Loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, the law refers to the Torah. It's the five books of Moses. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. The prophets are the, in the Hebrew, it's the Nevi'im. That refers to eight books. There's four historic books. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. You know, Samuel isn't first and second Samuels to the Jew. It's one big, long book. Same thing with Kings. It's one big, long book. Same thing with Chronicles. Chronicles is one big, long book. And then there's three latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then the 12 minor prophets were written on one scroll, so they were considered one book. And so you have eight books. The that give us the complete uh, revelation of God. And these eight books are summarized by these two laws. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor uh, uh, as yourself. So the kingdom of God must be interpreted through the lens of God's love. God is revealing his love to people through his kingdom. And so if you don't understand God's love, if you don't look through the lens of love, then you're going to misinterpret God's kingdom. You're going to see God's kingdom as a kingdom of power. You're going to see God's kingdom as a kingdom of law. You're going to see God's kingdom as a kingdom of wrath that comes against you know, the, the evil in the world. You're not going to see it in its proper perspective, which is that it is a kingdom of love. It operates by faith, and it's ruled or governed by love. Worship Life Radio with Holland Davis will continue right after this. Hi, this is Holland Davis, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Clemente. And I just want to take a moment and invite you to come and visit us at one of our Sunday morning services or to our midweek Bible study. Calvary Chapel San Clemente is a Jesus people community right here in the city of San Clemente, California. You know, we identify with our roots in the Jesus movement because that's where I came to Christ. And of course, that's where Calvary Chapel was born. When you come to our church, you're going to find a church that loves to worship the Lord with song. We love to study God's word verse by verse, and we love to share the love of God with other people. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, consider visiting us. You can find out all about us online at calvarysancomeni.org. We look forward to worshiping with you soon, and may God richly bless you. Now, let's continue with today's edition of Worship Life Radio. So I want to look at the kingdom of God. And first of all, I want us to understand that the word kingdom occurs 184 times 
in 166 verses in the Old Testament. That's a lot of verses. In the New Testament, it hap- it's a, it, uh, the word kingdom is used 158 times in 150 verses. And so there's a lot in the scriptures that refer to the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God is central to understanding the purposes of God in the earth. The primary word used is mamlaka. Mamlaka, and it literally means sovereignty, sovereignty. And so sovereignty, a sovereignty is ruled by a sovereign, someone who is sovereign. And we all hear teachings about the sovereignty of God. And unfortunately, most of them are wrong because they look at sovereignty from the position of control. That sovereignty, the sovereignty of God means that God is in control of everything. And so nothing happens unless God makes it happen or lets it happen. And here's the problem with that, because it doesn't fit any other definition of sovereignty. That's a definition that was made up and put on God. But what sovereign means is that a sovereign is someone who has the right and the authority to make law. And he has the power to enforce that law. And that describes exactly what God does. God created all the laws of the universe. He has the power to enforce those laws. You know, if you step out of a plane, the power of gravity will be enforced. And there's nothing you can do to stop yourself from falling down. Unless you're Elon Musk and you'll figure out a way to do it. Uh, But... um, you know, but the thing is, is that there are these laws that physical laws that govern the universe that are God's laws and they he has the power to enforce them and he does enforce them. There are psychological laws. There are social laws. And here God is giving the law to Israel and he's saying, if you break these laws, these this will be the consequence. And he has the power to enforce those consequences. And he does. So it's not saying that God is the ultimate control freak, because that's what a lot of people think of. God is the ultimate control freak. And that's why you have so many people that are from the Reformed tradition, people like Joshua Harris, people like Marty uh, Sampson from Hillsong, people from people like recently the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, um, where, where they've said we no longer believe in God because we don't. We just can't hang with a God who is an ultimate control freak. Well, they've been mistaught. They've been misrep- God has been misrepresented to them. And they don't see, understand really what sovereignty means, that God, that God has a kingdom that he established and he has power. His kingdom is a, uh, has power to defeat all the other kingdoms. And that he has the power to enforce his law and his law is love. That's the basis. It's ruled by love. Now, the first time this word kingdom is used is in Genesis 10.10. And in Genesis 10.10, I'll go uh, look at verse 8 through 10. It says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, point case in point, God is not the mighty one. Now a man is the mighty one, the shit, the The attention has shifted off of God now onto man. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. 
Now, the first time you see a, a word used in the scripture, it's important because it's significant. There's a meaning that is being conveyed uh, in this usage. And the first time we see it here, it's being used to describe the kingdom that was established by Nimrod comprised of these four cities, one of which was Babel. And Babel, as we'll learn, is becomes Babylon. And Babylon becomes a problem throughout world history from the very beginning, all the way to the very end. And, what, and the first time we see this word used, it's being led by a man who's described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. But as we study this passage before, what we learn is that the Hebrew suggests that Nimrod wasn't before the Lord, but he was against the Lord. That he, his kingdom was, rise, was, uh, was, was comprised uh, and built around himself. And that he himself was ruling himself. God wasn't ruling him. He was ruling these cities. He was ruling himself. And he was apart from, against the Lord. And so it, it's a kingdom that is against God. And in that we see the appearance, the first appearance of the world system. We're going to see that play out in the New Testament when Paul talks about the cosmos, the world system that is against God. And so here is here it's beginning right here with Nimrod. The second time we see the kingdom with Abimelech. Abimelech is again, it's the world system. But the third time we see the word kingdom appear, it's in Exodus 19 in our portion of scripture that we've been studying. And it says in Exodus 19, verse 6, God is saying to Moses to tell Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so God is saying to the Israelites, you are a kingdom of priests to me. You're my kingdom. And so God is establishing his kingdom in Israel. And uh, as I've said many times before, I, I like biblical numerology. Everything in the scripture is significant. And here is the third time this word is used, this word kingdom. And the third time it's used in reference to God and to God's kingdom. And whenever you see the number three used, it's referring to the complete revelation of God. And so God is through the people bringing a complete revelation of himself to the nations, a complete revelation of himself through Israel to the world. That was the original purpose for why it, God called Israel out uh, from among the nations. And Peter affirms this in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you, speaking to us, the church, are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We've been called out, set apart, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so here we see the purpose of the kingdom of God is to represent the king, to represent God himself to the kingdoms of the world, to the kingdoms that are under the influence the rule of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, which includes all the kingdoms 
of the world system. And so with that, we need to understand that there are only two kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms that exist in the world from God's perspective. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan is referred to as the kingdom of darkness, and, the, and, it, and it includes all the nations of the world that are not submitted to God, that are not under the kingdom of God. And so everyone in the world is a citizen of one or the other. Either you're a citizen of God's kingdom or you're a citizen of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And there is no middle ground. There isn't a, you can't have your foot in both kingdoms. Because if you're not in the kingdom of God, then by default, you're in the kingdom of Satan. You know, so many people talk about they have a foot in the, in the world and they have a foot in the church. Let me just tell you something. You're deceiving yourself if you believe that. There's, there's only one place you can be. And if you're not with the kingdom of God, then you're in the world. And you're under the judgment that is going to come to the world. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So either you're with Jesus or you're against Jesus. Either you're part of his kingdom or you're against his kingdom. Either you're gathering people into the kingdom or you're scattering people away from the kingdom. Again, there is no wiggle room here. There's no middle ground for people to stand on. And again, it has nothing to do with being a nice person. It has nothing to do with doing important things or nice things for people. You could find the cure for the coronavirus. It doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with what we accomplish, what it has to do with where we put our trust. Who are we loyal to? Are you loyal to the kingdom of God? Is that where your trust is? Is that where your faith is? Or are you loyal to the kingdom of Satan? Are you loyal to the world system? Are you loyal to the kingdom of darkness? And so you're either governed by God or you're governed by something that isn't God. And unfortunately, what people don't realize is when you're under the rule of the kingdom of Satan, you're under the power of demonic influence. That's really what it comes down to. And so whenever Jesus was dealing with people, he was always dealing in that realm. Either they were of God's kingdom or they were of Satan's kingdom. And so that's why many times as he's healing the sick, he's bringing them into God's kingdom. They're experiencing the rule, the reign of God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom ruled by? It's ruled by love. And what does love want to do? Love wants people to be healthy. Love wants people to be well. Love wants people to be fed. Love wants people to be cared for. Whereas the kingdoms of this world don't care about people. They just use people to their own end. So you're either governed by God or governed by the demonic powers that wage war against God. Friends, we want you to know how special you are to us, but more importantly, we want you to know how special you are to God. God loves you, and He gave everything for you so that you could have eternal life. His Son Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and you could know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Why don't you pray this simple prayer, mean it with all your heart, and make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. 
Forgive me for living my life without you. I don't want to live without you anymore. I want to live for you. Forgive me for breaking your law and fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live for you all the days of my life. And if you pray that prayer, you can have the assurance that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And I look forward to spending that eternity with you. You've been listening to Worship Life Radio with Pastor Holland Davis. As we wrap up today's message, we want to give you the opportunity to partner with us in ministry. This radio broadcast is, in a way, a virtual mission field. We're praying that every time a message is shared, someone's heart is drawn to Jesus. We pray for grace to be known and for lives to be changed. Would you join us in lifting up your fellow listeners to the Lord? Ask God to protect them and draw them closer with each moment they listen. There's one more way you can partner with us too. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting Worship Life Radio? Every amount given, no matter the size, will be used to spread the gospel message. And we're so grateful for it. You can find out more and donate securely online at calvarysanclemente.org. Just click on Give. Thanks for partnering with us here at Worship Life Radio. Do you live in the San Clemente area? If so, we'd love to have you join us for worship at Calvary Chapel San Clemente. We meet every Sunday at 8 and 10 a.m. And we have a Bible study on Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. that you're welcome to be a part of too. Come for a time of singing praises, learning from the Bible, and being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you can't come in person just yet, that's okay. You can still be a part of our church online through our website. Find out more at calvarysanclemente.org. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. And be sure to join us next time for another edition of Worship Life Radio. Every one of us is on a journey of grace. God wants you to be free and full of joy. Pastor Holland's message series, A Journey of Grace, will help you discover how to live the abundant life that Jesus promises to give you today. Order your personal copy of A Journey of Grace at worshipliferadio.com.